What do you crave? How many of you have already eaten supper before I show you some things? Uh, Not everybody. This could be dangerous. What about Reese's Pieces? How many of you like that? Well, Hershey bar. There we go. How many of you like those things? Could eat seven or eight without batting an eye, probably. Hershey's bar. We had a Hershey's bar. Chocolate. You know, they're they're telling us more and more chocolate is good for you. And anybody that can deny there's a God when you hear that. I mean, isn't that wonderful? Kyle, what else do we have? Bluebell. Ooh. That'll be at the pearly gates. There's no doubt about that. You crave, you crave that. You know, the word crave is, um, is a powerful word. It, it literally means, simple definition, to desire something strongly, to, to desire it urgently, and this is important, persistently. When you crave after something, it, there's a strong desire for it. There is an urgency about it and a persistency that says, I'm going to go after this until I get it. And tonight, I want to talk about craving the presence of God. In, in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, there's a wonderful story. If you're just a super overachiever Sunday night, we're going to be looking out at a First Samuel chapter 3, a, a story where a young man hears God when he's in the, the house of God, in God's presence. But tonight we're going to look at, I love this story, a story where Moses has a uh, tremendous God encounter as he craves the presence of God. And I want to ask you a question this evening. Do you long to see the Lord? And I'm using the word see there symbolically or metaphorically. If you know much about the Bible, you're not going to see God until you die or until he comes back, uh, whichever happens first. So I'm not asking you tonight, are you on a suicidal mission? You want to see God this, by this time tomorrow? You may. But do you long to, to have a, a real encounter and experience uh, with God that just impacts you and uh, much more than a feeling. I mean, a life-changing uh, experience. So do you long after that? Moses did. And I want to I read to you. It's a rather lengthy passage, Exodus 33, verse 12 through 23. It's not, well, it's 11 verses, but it's so good. A little bit of the context, Moses had gotten the Ten Commandments in Exodus 24, and he came back down, and the the Baptists or Jewish people, whoever it was, uh, were having a party that went bad. You remember? And Moses lost his cool, didn't he? Literally lost his cool. And he split the commandments all over the place. And now he's in the process of talking to God, getting ready to go back up to the, uh, to the mountain with God for another 40-day experience. Listen to this exchange. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, God, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Isn't that great? What a great thing for a leader to say, God, these are yours, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help, 
whether it's at the university, the church, where I'm trying to help, but God never forget they belong to you. Moses was telling God that. And in verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Boy, this is good stuff, isn't it? How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you, and that's important, and I know you by name. And look, look at verse 18. Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord said, there is a place near where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Doesn't that sound like a song you've heard Wayne sing before? And cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but you must not see my face. Boy, I mean, this is powerful chewing right here, isn't it? The first thing Moses asked, he says, God, you have given me a monumental task of leading these people. By the way, mom and dad, you got a monumental task leading your little people. By the way, you who are bosses, you have a monumental task trying to lead people. You're a Sunday school teacher. You're, you're a, a minister. You're, all of us are ministers for sure. Whatever your role is, you have influence, and that's a monumental task. And God, Moses says to God, listen, I can't do this. Look in verse 14. And unless your presence goes with us. And the Lord says, my presence. Now, what's interesting, that word presence there can literally mean my face. My face will go with you. It's a way you can simply translate that. It's a word of intimacy. It's a word of power. It's much more than just saying, hey, God, lead me. Show me where to go. Show me what to do, which is all good. He's saying, God, I don't want you to just show me what to do. God, I want you, I want your face in the middle leading the way of where I go and where these people go. Have you thought about that before? We say, God, show us what to do. Then we're going to flip a coin, and we'll believe that it heads as you and tells us the devil. Or we make our pros and cons list when sitting bad, and we say, well, here's all the pros, and that outweighs it, so that must be God. Or we took a vote, and that must be God. It's not what he said. He said, God, I don't want you just to give me instructions and get out of the way. God, I want your presence. I want your face leading us. God says, I'll be there. I'll be there every step of the way. You know what? God's listening for you and I to cry out that same thing to him. And that promise that he promised Moses will be for us. But Moses didn't stop there if that's not good enough. Moses said, God, by the way, while we're at it, (laughs) I'd kind of like to see your face. I would kind of like to see you. In verse 18, Moses said, show me your glory. Is that not awesome? That literally means your weight, 
And that's not talking about scales here. He's talking about, show me your honor, your glory. God, show me your face. I long to see you. Now, a little context here. Moses is not a kindergartner spiritually at this point. Moses had already spent 40 days in prayer and fasting alone with God on the mountain. The Bible says earlier that that Moses and God talked face to face like men do. Of course, Moses didn't see his face. But there was something about Moses that said, no matter what I've had with God so far, I want more. I want more. God, show me you. God, I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to argue just about you. I don't want to be able to debate about you. God, I don't want your directions. I want you. And God, by the way, I would love to see your face. Show me you, God. And it wasn't a morbid curiosity, a kindergarten Santa Claus request here. It was a sincere, heartfelt thing that a person who loved God and said, I can't get enough. I want more. I want more. You know what's awesome? We can't ever get enough of God. No matter how much you get of God, there's always going to be a whole lot more. And no matter what we learn about God or experience God here on earth, there's always more. And then we're going to get to heaven and go, wow. We had just scratched the tip of the iceberg. And I love what God said. God said, Moses, you can't see my face, but you can see my back. (laughs) And then he shows him his back. You know what? If God showed up this evening and said, do you want to see my back? My hand's going up. Do you desire to see God? Do you long to... Have an experience with God like you've never had before. What a beautiful thing to desire and want. And by the way, again, God did not rebuff Moses. God did not tell Moses, Moses, you shouldn't feel this way. You shouldn't do this way. And again, I want to tell you, this is a very mature senior citizen Christian at this point in our terminology. But see, here's us. And I, I'm a, I, you guys are the, the Marine Corps. I mean, you're, you're the, you're the three-time-a-week Baptist here, so I'm not trying to kick you. But here's, here's what most people say. Most people say, well, I'm going to go to church a couple of times a month. And you know what? I'll read my Bible occasionally, and I'll pray occasionally, but I want to see God. Listen, it doesn't happen that way. Nobody has life-changing transformation or encounters with God that doesn't pour themselves into it. We seek God's hand, don't we? And God tells you to seek His hand. But God says where, where life change happens is when we seek His face. And by the way, Moses found out when you get the face of God, you get the hand of God. I challenge you this evening, because everything else we're going to see spills over from this encounter that Moses had to crave an encounter with God. Seek to know God and to experience God more and more in your life. Let me share with you four things that happen when we do this. It's here where we truly learn about God. 
It's when you and I, and, and when you and I as a church and individuals, when we encounter God, when we experience God like He wants us to, this is when we begin to know who God really is. In verse 30, uh, chapter 34, verse 5 and 6, the Lord came down in the cloud and He stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord. Don't you wish Moses would have had a smartphone with a camera at this point? Wow. The Lord, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Again, Moses is a stout Christian here. Already had 40 days on the mountain. He's he's involved in another 40 days with the mountain. And it would be easy, it would have been really easy for Moses to felt like he knew all there was to know about God. In my opinion, Moses had a Ph.D. in Old Testament at this point. I mean, he's going to write the first five books, God through him. Uh, he, uh, He had a Ph.D. in theology. He understood God as well as anybody on the planet at this point. But when he says, God, I want to see your face. I want to know you more. You know what? He learns more and more about God. Listen, here's Christianity today. We know about God. We don't know God. That's the truth. That's how it's marketed. That's the industry is we want to learn about God, but we don't really know God. A friend of mine in California said about 10 years ago about the the study experiencing God. How many of you have ever been through it? It is wonderful. It's a great, great study. But here's what my friend said, deacon in a church in California. He said, most Christians want to study experiencing God. They don't really want to experience God. That's true. But see, Moses goes back on the mountain, the most God-versed person on the face of the earth at this time, and he's still saying, God, I want more. I want more, God. I want more. I want more. And God says, there's a lot more to give. I'm going to give you some. Can't see my face, but look at my, my backside when I come by. And in that encounter, God reveals more about himself to Moses than Moses knew before. Again, I, I want to say this, not to be overly re- repetitive, but we're trying to get to know God in three to five minutes a day maybe 10 minutes a day, a couple of times a week. And a lot of people, if church fits into their schedule, they'll come. If it doesn't, you know, God, God's forgiving. God doesn't really care. You know the Greek word for that's baloney. But we want to know more about God. Listen, you don't know more about God until you invest your life in knowing more about God. When we experience God in the presence of God, one thing that happens is we truly begin to know who God is. Here's the third thing, or a second thing from this. We begin to learn the ways of God. We begin to understand the truths of God and what God wants us to do in in better and more powerful ways. In chapter 34, verse 1, It says, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets. Now, I love this, which you broke. But you know, Moses 
Come on, God, aren't you forgiving? Don't you forget? And uh, I, I love that. It's kind of like maybe Moses hadn't dealt with that or something with God. Um, Moses, by the way, the tablets you broke. <laughs> and then in verse 27 and 28, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Write down the words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. Now, kids, don't try that at home. <laughs> and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, if the 40 days without water is an absolute supernatural miracle. You, you can't go two or three days without water to begin having problems. A healthy person without certain physical problems could fast without food for 40 days. But this is a supernatural encounter. And the principle here is that it's when you and I seek the presence of God and invest our time with God like we need to, that's when we begin to not only know God, but we begin to understand the things God is trying to get us to understand. You want to know what God wants you to do? You want to understand the Bible? You, you want to understand the correction, the direction, the instruction God has for you? It, it happens when we get in the presence of God and we devote ourselves to Him. It, it won't just happen in an academic classroom, whether that's in a seminary or whether that's in a, a church house. It, it's not going to happen in just a few minutes a day or a few minutes a week. It, it happens when we invest ourselves with God. When we invest ourselves with God, then he begins to teach us his ways. And I, I want to tell you, I, I just I, I absolutely believe that we're not doing a good job with this. It comes out in how, how we live and, and how we do life. It comes out how we do church in a lot of places. Because we, we really don't get in the presence of God. We haven't experienced God enough to truly understand what he's trying to teach us and trying to show us. Back in 1995, I was pastoring a church down uh, in College Station, Texas area, where the, uh, the small agricultural college, Texas A&M, is. And we were, we were getting ready our, to possibly purchase new land and move the church. And it, it, was, it was a really needed thing because our building was falling down. Uh, the building was built by Civil War soldiers, or at least by their kids. And it was a wonderful old building, but it was just... I mean, it was not restorable. It was needing to go on to the heavenly building ground, wherever that is. But we had people in the church that had literally grown up in that building that were 75 and 80, and that that had been the church they'd known their whole life. And it was very difficult for, for them to want to, to want to do that. And rightly so, I understand that. And it was controversial, and it was causing tension, and it was doing everything that God does not want when you have a decision like that. So here's what I asked them. I said, we're going to vote on this in November. This was in our October business meeting. I said, let's make a pact. Nobody can vote unless they will pray at least an hour next month. Over the next month. 
about this. We actually voted to put that in the, uh, the, the proposal. So we voted to do that. So we came back a month later. We had secret ballots, which we should have. We passed them out, and on that, we had a place for you to check. I prayed one hour about this decision. And you know what happened when we collected those? It was a 100% vote to relocate the church a mile down the road. On a busy fairway where thousands of people drove by every day versus being in the woods. And I tell you that story to say that, that church votes, that doesn't mean that's a God vote. Church votes are God votes when the people have sought the face of God and got the word from God on what they should do. Amen? You see, when we get in the presence of God, someone said prayer is the way we bathe ourselves in the divine presence. Isn't that good? Wish I'd have said it, but I didn't. Prayer is the way we bathe ourselves in the divine presence. And when we bathe ourselves in God and we come together as a body, we make right decisions. When we bathe ourselves in God and we're making decisions as a couple or in our businesses, in our personal life, we make right decisions. Again, too many of us want a formula when, when the answer is in a person. You ever thought about that? I mean, we want a formula, yet yeah, 2 plus 2 equals 4, and, and then that's how God works. No, God's a person, and, and God wants us to want Him and to spend time with Him, and that's how we learn His ways and what He wants us to do. Here's another thing. It's in the presence of God that we are changed. This is where, this is where real change happens. Listen, I, I said this earlier. You guys are the Marine Corps. You're the cream of the crop. We're fixing to pass the offering plate again, so I'm trying to butter you up. Did we pass the offering plate tonight? I, I had a $1,000 bill I was going to give down here, and it didn't get to me. So, Just kidding. I can give it the office. I have a key. Chapter 34, verse 29. Boy, it's, this is a great verse. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Now, this word radiant, this Hebrew word radiant, literally means to, to shoot out horns. And in the medieval period, they used a translation of the Bible, a Latin translation called the Vulgate. And the Vulgate, literally says Moses was shooting out horns. Michelangelo did a famous sculpture. How many of you have ever seen this picture here? You thought it was the devil. That is Moses. You see the red dot on a horn and a horn there? Is that not unusual looking? I mean, Moses would have come down looking like that. That would have truly created some issues. Reggie had a great quiet time. We can tell by his horns today. That would... (laughs) That would be odd, wouldn't it? It it literally means to be radiant or to glow. There was a little boy that went with his family to Europe one summer. And while they were in Europe, they they visited some of the great cathedrals there. And he noticed in one of the cathedrals, one afternoon, the sun was really shining in. And they had beautiful stained glass 
paintings with, with pictures of Moses, Jesus, Paul, Peter, those guys. And, and he could see the sun shining through those beautiful pictures. And he said, Mama, who are those people that the light is shining through? And his mom said, those are the saints. Well, a couple of months later in Sunday school, the teacher asked a question to the kids. Who are the saints? And the little boy said, the ones that the sun shines through. Moses came down and the sun of God was shining through his face. I believe this with all my heart. It's impossible to consistently spend time with God and not be changed. It's impossible. Now, come to church once a month, read your Bible every other week, pray 10 minutes a day, or when you're in a desperate situation, occasionally. It's not going to happen. But when people spend time with God and do serious business with God, it changes us. And we're not doing it. Just I can tell you because our behavior. But when we do, my goodness, how things will change and change dramatically. You know what's interesting in this verse? It says, Moses was unaware that his face was shining. Did you see that? He was not aware. Here's the problem we have today. Too many of us think our faces are shining and they're not. One of the greatest signs that your face is shining is that you're not aware your face is shining. You know the old saying, if you're ever ready to write a book on your humility, you've lost your humility. What does a shining face look like today? I I, I think two scriptures really jump out in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. It's kind. Doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude or self-seeking. Easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Doesn't delight in evil. Rejoices in the truth. Protects, trusts, hopes, preserves. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are the fruit of the Spirit. The evidence that you're saved. The evidence that you're right with God. These things radiate or should radiate out of people who spend time in the presence of God. The fruit of the Spirit, it's singular, you notice that. It's not nine different qualities. Well, I have some, I don't have some. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look, against them, there's no prohibitions against these things. You see, when your face is shining and when you've experienced God, you don't come out arrogant, pushy, demanding, or bully. You come out a wonderful, loving person. That's the kind, by the way, that changes the world. See, Moses got in the presence of God, and it changed him, and it always will. It always will. And here's the last thing. This is where we influence people from. It's from here one influences others greatly. In verse 30 and 35 through 35, it says, When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses and his face was radiant, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them all the commandments the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. 
When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But when he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what had been commanded, and they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face, and he went to speak with the Lord again. In the first part of the 20th century in Great Britain, in the country of Wales, the region of Wales, there was a tremendous revival, awakening, spiritual awakening, where, where literally hundreds of thousands of people were saved and, and just radically transformed. I mean, it was phenomenal. Uh, literally, in some of the coal mines, when the coal miners were getting saved, they couldn't get the mules to work. You know why? Because the mules were so conditioned to work from being cussed that when the coal miners got saved and quit cussing, the mules didn't know how to work. That's pretty radical, isn't it? And there was, there was a layman, a non-preacher named Evan Roberts who was a key figure in these revivals. He was a coal miner himself. And he, now listen, this is important. Man, he got a burden for revival and awakening in his country. And he, he didn't get mad. He, he didn't blame. He, you know what he did? He started spending enormous amounts of time pr- praying. He would go days where he wouldn't eat anything. He would pray hours and hours and hours. He got other people together, like-minded, to seek God, to seek God, to seek God, and revival broke out. They said during the midst of the revival, there were times Evan Roberts could walk into a group, a, a room where people were, and they would begin to cry and come under conviction just seeing him. That's the radiance of God. You see, here's our problem. We want to control. We want to have the power. We want to dictate God says, no, your job is to try to influence. And when we, when we want to control, dominate, and dictate, all we do is wreck things. But when we say, God, I want to be bathed in your presence, then we have influence. That's tremendous, and that's powerful. You can bet every time Moses came out of the tent, people sat up and they listened. My father wrote this little saying in a couple of my Bibles. It really is worth writing down. To be much for God, you must be much with God. If you want God to use you, it's not going to be an accident. It's not going to be based on how talented or gifted or intellectual you are. It's not going to be based on the force of your personality or your billfold. It's going to be based on how close you are to the Lord God Almighty. To be much with God demands that we be much with God. Several years ago in San Antonio, there was a a church conference. And in this conference, one of the preachers, you know, he was talking to mostly pastors, but, but he said, he said, more than anything else, Jesus needs to be in the house. And he, he kind of continued to build on that theme. He said, it doesn't matter if you've got a church full of millionaires. You need Jesus in the house. It doesn't matter if you've got a, a bunch of PhDs in religion if you don't have Jesus in the house. If you want lives to be 
saved. You want lives to be changed. You want marriages restored. You want Christians being shaken up and putting on the right path. Jesus needs to be in the house. And Jesus is not going to be in the house unless he's in our lives and our hearts. I challenge us tonight, let's let him be. I want you to see one more verse, Jeremiah 29, 13. By the way, this is a cheat sheet for you. It's our memory verse for this next month. Read it with me. Read it. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Listen, I challenge you tonight. Let's seek God. You're not a Christian in just a moment. I want you to come, and I want you to give your life to Christ. That's the first first thing you need to do. You want to join the church tonight? We would love for you to do it. You come and do that in a moment. Christian, I, I want to challenge every Christian here. Where you're standing or at the altar, bow your knee, bow your heart. Get on your face if you want to. But ask God to show up in our church. Ask God to show up in your life. Before we start the invitation, I'm going to ask Linnea to come. And, and she's going to sing. Let's just go ahead and bow our heads. What I want you to do, if you would, is just listen to this first verse of this song. And then I'm going to ask you to stand as she continues to sing. And at that point, you respond to God. Let's bow our heads and listen to the beautiful words of this song. May this be your song and my song tonight. stand and you just bow your heads and as God leads you, you come this evening.